Recorded live. Scuba Obsess is the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed, episode 112, is recorded live April 19th, 2012. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson, and here's some of the articles we're going to cover this week. Uh, product recall. We have the Wichita Fire Department makes a dramatic rescue. We have a follow-up on the Berryessa Lake Bridge. And then we also have a scuba diver's help with the Aquarian String Springs restoration. And normally this is where I'd be welcoming my co-host, but again, I'm solo for two weeks in a row. Can you believe that? I want to say out of all the episodes we've done, I've only done a couple solo and looks like it's going to be another week. Mac left me a message just a little while ago. He's got family in town, so he didn't think he was going to make it. And I'm not sure where Jim Schultz is. We'll give him some grief next time we come along. So what we're going to do is without any further ado, we're going to jump right on into the news. As always, if you happen to be in the chat room, you get the benefit of following along, getting those news feeds right away. And then also, within a few days, we're going to have show notes posted up on the website, scubaobsessed.com. Go ahead and head over there, and you're going to be able to see a link to some of the articles that we're talking about. First one is a product recall. This one is on scuba hoses. This one is out of the Washington Post. MyFlex high-pressure scuba diving hoses, which have been imported from Excess Scuba Incorporated of Santa Ana, California, and manufactured by MyFlex of, uh, out of Italy. Uh, there's a recall. The, the high-pressure hose, hoses that are used to monitor cylinder pressure for the air supplier, the air supply, supplier, supply and tanks for scuba diving. The hoses have MFX stamped on the hose end fittings. They were sold as individual placement gauge hoses and as cascade hoses. What is at risk is the diving hoses can rupture, which, as many of us divers will know, will reduce your available air supply, and you may drown. There is about 17,000 hoses affected in the recall. Excess Scuba has received reports from 189 hose failures. No injuries have been reported. So if you have one of those hoses, take it back to where you bought it from, or you can contact Excess Scuba. Information will be on their website at www.xs.com scuba.com. Now that would really suck, you know, buying a hose because those aren't that cheap a hose. That's that's a fairly decent hose. I don't have one of those, but I know a lot of people swear by them. Next one up is from N is from TVNZ out of New Zealand. A man plunders POA stocks using scuba gear. A man is facing charges for allegedly poaching more than 250 and I'm probably pronouncing this wrong, P-A-U-A, I'm going to call them POA, using scuba diving gear uh, near a beach in Wellington. And when I look at these, they appear to be a muscle. The fishery officers saw the 61-year-old uh, acting suspiciously in a bay just south of uh, Bacara Beach and found a large sack uh, of shucked POA hidden nearby in long grass. Um, a lot of the larger uh, examples are usually out of reach of snorkelers, which have been taken, affecting further supplies. The Ministry of Agriculture and Forestry Field Operations said 
It's particularly disappointing to see the laws designed to protect a fish stock for all users are being flouted in this way. It is legal to take or be in possession uh, of these animals using scuba equipment because of the large areas may otherwise be systematically cleared by divers. It also leaves stock in deeper waters untouched. The man could face penalties up to five years imprisonment and $250,000. Next up is off the Kansas City Star. Uh, Wichita fire crews staged dramatic rescue to save a trapped dog in a creek. Not necessarily scuba related other than it involves water and the rescue team did have scuba gear with them. Uh, actually, uh, kind of a rough case. Uh, what had happened is a gentleman was walking his dog about a 100 pound uh, lab and mix with something else. Uh, they were taking shelter underneath the bridge with rain. The dog, who is scared of things such as lawnmowers and loud noises, uh, got away from his owner. He actually let him off the leash, which was a mistake. And then uh, the dog ran. It, it got in the water. And uh, uh, through the course of what was going on, people saw that there was activity down there, thought uh, uh, somebody was hurt, and they dispatched the fire department. Uh, the guy's name, Huey, and his dog, Taz, were covered under the Harry Street Bridge over a creek uh, when this happened. Uh, the water rose. Uh, the police department, not the police department, the Wichita Fire Department sent a crew. Uh, this is the type of crew that, that they're the ones who you send into collapsing buildings, and they have gear for cutting concrete. They brought a boat, which they didn't use. They brought a concrete and rotary saw, which they did end up using. Uh, the gentleman, when when they got there, they thought it was something more serious. When they realized it was just a dog, he said, I hated the fire department to be called for this, but they are doing a yeoman's job of trying to save the dog. Uh, they, they spent times trying to figure out where the dog was. They made cuts. Uh, the gentleman uh, was concerned. He, he thought maybe he should call his wife since he'd been gone so long, but then he was afraid that if he that if he did, he didn't know what to say uh, with a dog being missing. Uh, the rescuers were wearing scuba gear and wetsuits. Uh, they jumped in the water, moving to where they had been uh, probing, and at one point they had to give up. Uh, just as they are giving up, uh, somebody on the shore noticed something that they thought looked like a bag floating in the water. Uh, they went down. Uh, he went down and said, Taz, I'm here. Uh, the firefighters jumped back in, got the saws, cut concrete, and uh, they got the dog out. So another one of those things you can do with scuba gear if you have it. Uh, we were talking about this last a couple weeks ago on the show. Uh, Jim Schultz, who happens to be a volunteer fireman, and we were talking about what well, the pluses and minuses of these types of rescues with animals. Um, you know, because you know, I look at it as a training experience. Uh, but uh, you know, at one point in the article, they did say that they have no idea how much this the, how much this cost. Uh, I'm trying to see that somewhere they had numbers of how many people ended up showing. Uh, they had eight fire trucks. Uh, police directing traffic. Uh, they had use of heavy equipment saws. Uh, somewhere they said how many firemen. I want to say it was over 40. Oh, 20 firefighters. Uh, the owner has promised he's never going to let his dog off his leash again. Next up is a follow-up. We covered this one quite a while ago. This one is out of California. Lake Berryessa News covered it. And if you remember, there was a stone bridge on the lake. We were talking about last year, we were wondering how people were going to be, you know, if they were going to be able to find it. They had gone out and used some sonar and taken a look at photos and old maps, and they were trying to locate the bridge, but they had been un unable to, and then the diving season kind of ended on them. Uh, they started off this year, and they, they uh, actually got a chance to go down on it. Uh, quite an interesting blog article. If you get a chance to read it, we're not going to go through and read it all, all the way here in the program, but very well written. Uh, talks about a diver and some of the situations that he went on the way down. Uh, 
Uh, one thing I thought was interesting is he talked about you know all the preparation and training uh, where he was going down to the bridge, the stone bridge is 125 feet below the surface, and he was following a descent line. Uh, the project manager had told him, uh, make sure that you don't do this, 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 or this. And at one point he got caught, uh, looked like either they had a knot in the line or the line knotted uh, as they were paying it out. So he had to take his, uh, he's probably using some sort of carabiner type clamp, and he had to move it below, below the knot and he was able to get down. They don't really have any good pictures. I know that they took a camera. Uh, you can see a little bit in one of the photos of the stone bridge. But they actually were able to touch it and verify that it was there. Uh, probably a little bit of doubt that it was gone considering how big it is. Uh, and then they're planning on going back at a, in a later time. Uh, the Florida Sportsman, obviously out of Florida, has announced winners for their underwater photography contest. Uh, one, one bit of note, uh, for if you're a newspaper or article, uh, get right to the photo so you can actually post them. This one, the original photo, uh, the Actually, the original story doesn't have any photos, and you have to actually go to the uh, website for the uh, University of Miami, which is who's hosting the the contest. Had some interesting photos. Uh, you know, it seems like everybody's got a, every photo competition has to have at least one jellyfish. So they had some of those. They had some uh, mac macro photos, uh, close-ups of shrimps, uh, your proverbial lionfish, uh, schools of fish, whales. Uh, but if you love underwater photo, go ahead and take a look at those. Next one is out of the Manly Daily, which uh, I'm having a hard time figuring out where they were at. Uh, through a little bit of research, they're Manly NSW. And don't tell anybody in Australia, I don't know where that is, but um, uh, I was able to figure out at least it was in Australia. Scuba diver search for potatoes and smash fundraising goals. 100 divers joined dive center's underwater treasure hunt at the Cabbage Tree Bay. Smashed potatoes were on the menu as a bunch of enthusiastic divers searched through the soggy ground. Uh, they were smashed. Smashing another goal, too, they, ra they raised $1,460 for ocean protection. The funds were to go to Project Aware Foundation, which, as we know, is a, go is a global nonprofit uh, working for the protection of the ocean planet uh, through diving. Annie McCowan won the major prize, which was a Mike Ball liveaboard trip in Canes in July. He said it was a fantastic day of diving with a few friends at Shelley Beach. It was a great way to win a major prize in one of the most amazing dive locations in the world. The funds raised by all the participants will help fund important projects in the future. Next up is a out of the University Star in Texas. Boy, what a crazy slow Internet day today. What they're doing down there is they're... Asking for volunteers, San Marcos citizens can hack down evasive plants, clear up the spring, and swim with turtles in the Diving for Science program. The program was established right after the A-Q-U-A-R-E-N-A Aquarina theme park was purchased by the University for Research. It was originally used to monitor activity of federal agencies and prof professors in Spring Lake. Uh, Ron Coley, director of the Spring Center, said we needed a way to control the amount of people in Spring Lake, but now we are more comfortable with who can enter the lake. Now people can go through a scuba certification, help with the habitat restoration project. Training to become a science diver takes two days, usually diving during the weekend, and educates people on the Edwards Aquifer, San Marcos River, and plants and animals who inhabit them. After a lecture, students are quizzed on the endangered species and plant life specific to Spring Lake. People wanting to dive in Spring Lake are required to have their own scuba gear, be certified divers in open water. The academic portion, people are taken to the, 
to a sectioned off part of the river with additional training and a buoyancy test. Uh, he says that the test is an obstacle course for divers to swim through. They have to carry heavy objects to imitate carrying equipment underwater. We don't want divers hitting the bottom of the lake or getting close to the glass bottom boats. <laughs> I wonder why they they would want the divers to stay away from the glass bottom boats. Is that they're afraid of them crashing into or they don't want people looking up and seeing what you might see in an in open bottom boat? Uh, the program usually runs throughout the year, but it's been, been suspended due to deconstruction of the theme park. The Army Corps of Engineers is heading up a project, so it's their rules. They have only allowed a handful of us to die, but the project will be completed in early June. Uh, then everyone will be allowed to dive. Divers have become certified participants in the lake's maintenance, such as keeping the springs clear and helping contact research in various agencies. They said a lot of what we do is underwater guarding. Where people can come, they might say it looks like a regular pond, but we want to make sure it's clearly see the springs and what's actually down there. If you're down in Texas, you get a chance to dive that, let me know. I bet that is an amazing dive. I'll hold on a second. We got Jim Schultz coming online, maybe. Oh, you there, Jim? I'm here. Hey, how you doing? Good, thank you. Sorry I'm so late tonight. I was actually working in the yard for a while. Oh, it's easy to do this time of year. Uh, yep, my back was feeling pretty good, and so I decided I'd go out and try it a little bit. Excellent. Sounds like you're healing up a little bit then. I think so. So what we were just talking about was uh, diving in Texas. They have uh, the University Star down there is, is reporting, and I'm not familiar with it. It looks like it was an Aquarina theme park that a university down there has purchased, and they were cleaning up the springs. That seems interesting. So... I was just saying, if it's anything like the diving that we had down in, in Florida, I'd absolutely love to, to hear what that would be like, actually go and see it. Okay, and then the last one up in the news is out of Plymouth, UK. A team cut away a 100-meter fishing net that was caught on a wreck. A Plymouth dive boat skipper has enabled a team of volunteers to clear a popular wreck of dangerous netting that can threaten divers and wildlife. Dave Allen took a special took his specialist dive boat, the Outcast, 17 miles to the wreck of the Maine, where six expert scuba divers from a far afield as London set to work to move the nylon gill netting. Uh, the captain did charge a penny for the charter, even provided tanks of air and oxygen free of charge. The divers cut away about 100 meters of the lost net, waiting around the hundred around a hundred weight when dry. That must be. Uh, UK for heavy stuff. Doug said fishermen have laid uh, the net nearby and has gotten embedded in the wreck and became a nuisance to divers. It felt better to take it off in case a diver got entangled in conditions of low visibility. A knife is no good. It would take ages to cut your way free. You need a special tool. Now, Jim Kleeman and I found that out uh, diving in the St. Joe right there off the concrete plant. There's uh, old nets that have been caught on the pilings and we thought we would cut loose. They had a a float on one of the nets and we we first started off with a dive knife and sawed on that for two or three minutes and weren't making headway and then he pulled out some uh, penny cutters some shears and that didn't do much better uh, the, the wreck that they were working on was the main which is 375 foot it's a 3,616 ton British cargo ship that was sunk by U-boats in March of 1917 the ship is mostly intact. She's one of the most popular dive venues on the South Devon coast. Yeah, 35 meters, 105, 110 feet. Yeah, probably a nice dive. 
I would think so. Now, what is something good to cut through a net, you know, that nylon? Depending on how thick it is, uh, I've seen the, uh, like, seatbelt cutters, which is basically a razor blade on one side uh, in a V-shaped plastic unit. But for a thick line, uh, you know, it's really tough. Do you saw through it with a straight-edge knife, or do you just keep hacking at it with a good, sharp straight edge? Yeah, I, I wouldn't know. You know, Jim and I have talked about that. Some people have mentioned that uh, getting some good old cheap steak knives and then making a case for them that they come in handy for for this type of work. But I don't know if they do they they get dull pretty quick or or what it is. So well, I'll tell you what we use on the tall ships is uh, more like cut off butcher knives. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I don't know exactly what they were, but it's about an inch, inch and a half thick. Um, six to eight inches long, and then we just break the point off, or actually grind the point off, so you've got a flat end on it, and that's what we call we carry. That's basically what all sailors carry on any tall sailing ships. So if you've got a good sharp straight edge knife like that, uh, and I, you want to keep them sharp, but they do work very well for cutting all the line uh, you'd find on a sailing ship. So I guess a straight edge, but you don't want something with a very wide um, girth to it. I mean, inch and a half thick, but the narrower the better, because if you get a real deep V there on the cutting edge, uh, you know, it takes a lot more cutting to separate, where if it's a narrow blade in width, not height, uh, then they'll cut through a Yeah, It sounds like a good thing to test out this year. Yeah. Well, that does it for the news this week. Uh, we're going to go to the part of the show we get to talk about diving. Now, I didn't get a chance to go diving, and I don't think Mac did, and Jim, you didn't get a chance to get any diving in, did you? No, I haven't been, but I'm hoping this weekend I may try something Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I've, I've heard a rumor that uh, we may be able to get out and do a wreck out of, uh, is that Cast Dwajak there, the South Bend? Yeah, uh, Diamond Lake. Diamond Lake, yep. Yeah, so that should be a good one. Here's something for our or the listeners. You know, we even the small inland lakes uh, have wrecks in them. And this was a passenger carrying uh, ferry, ran people out to the island on the the lake. Yeah. Uh, boilers, engine, the whole nine yards. Yeah. An, an interesting lake. That lake there. It has an island in the center of it. There's a chain. I believe it's a chain driven or a cable driven uh, ferry that will bring you from the shore out to the middle. I know that if you do a Google Maps on it, it just drives Google Maps crazy because it can't comprehend the thought of a uh, chain ferry. But uh, from what I understand, it was a steam uh, ship that caught on fire and sank, and then the uh, boiler exploded. So I think the depth, if I remember correctly, was about 40 feet, and then you uh, somebody's reconstructed the shipwreck, so to speak, and brought parts that were spread uh, closer to one location. You can actually see some of the lines still tied to them as they... Uh, I think it was in the 80s they, or 90s, they floated them back together and, and brought them. So, but you get to look down into the uh, heat exchanger and the boiler, and uh, there's a shaft down the middle of the vessel that you can see. Um, there's also a, I call it, we call it a communications booth, but a, a about a 125-gallon-looking fish tank-type object where uh, you, know, you can play around with. But a good warm-up dive. It seems like that's a tradition every year we do at least one dive on the uh, South Bend, sometimes maybe twice if we get blown off the big lake. 
So it looks like we've got at least four divers signed up for it. Hopefully we can get a couple boats out there. Now, uh, Jim, this last weekend you got a chance to go to Milwaukee, didn't you? Yes, I went over to the Ghost Ships Festival, which is a large festival at the uh, Milwaukee area. They had uh, a video show Friday night. Uh, Video submissions were about six that were submitted up to seven minutes long. And they had some really nice stuff. They had uh, uh, one video was two guys who did the boiler room of the Bradley, Carl Bradley, in 350 feet. So it's something that most people wouldn't get to see, but they shot video of of that. Uh, There was another guy who did a nice one. He called it my favorite dive. And it was, uh, you know, started off, you know, somebody asked me one time, what's my favorite wreck or favorite dive? And he said, well, it could be. And then he would show video of this one. And then, well, maybe that one. So he had, you know, maybe five minutes of video of one, five one-minute segments of a bunch of different ships, uh, which was a neat Nice way to do it, kind of an introductory uh, for a seven-minute short video. It was well done. So there was uh, some good ones out there. There was some uh, uh, coral video, you know, but, you know, that that's nice if you're in the coral. Uh, the only time I like coral is when it's growing on a wreck, but <laughs> such is life. So, But it was, yeah, it was good. And then there were a number of vendors at the booth there at the show um, hooked up with a uh, dive boat out of Milwaukee that, uh, does a number of trips. They're going up to the Straits and to Munising, which is in Lake Superior, up near Whitefish Point. Uh, they may come over our side sometime. And, now, you're uh, talking about uh, Shipwreck Explorers, isn't that? Shipwreck Explorers, yes. Yeah, that's uh, Jitka and the Molly V. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, usually, uh, at least uh, once or twice of the year, they'll they'll make it to this side of the lake. They'll do. Uh, uh, they've done dives out of uh, Saugatuck and uh, some out of uh, uh, South Haven and uh, I, Holland. I believe they like the tech dives, you know, yeah. that uh, 150, 200 area, that, you know, tech wreck. Yep. But uh, that's, uh, yeah, they they don't have anything scheduled over here, but Jitka was saying that they would like to come over and get something going, you know, some, maybe sometime in July. So yeah. if uh, we can yeah. get enough people signed up, she'll take us out. Yeah, they've got a lot of divers who uh, are rebreathers. Uh, she, she's a rebreather diver, and a lot of the others are, are rebreathers, which I think when you get into the depths that they, they frequently are going at, that that's not too unusual. Yeah. So was there, was there anything that stood out at the show, anything new as far as uh, any, any new wrecks that were announced? Uh, no, nothing really new. Uh, MSRA did a presentation on the, uh, yeah, I'm going to draw blank now, <laughs> brain was the, fart. Was it the one that they announced a couple weeks ago? No, they haven't done anything with that yet. Uh, that's in 350 feet. They shot some basic video of it, but that wasn't it. This was one over in Illinois, the Chicago side. Um, Thomas Hume. Oh, okay. Sorry, Thomas Hume. Yeah, they did a presentation on the Hume. And... Uh, Ross Richardson did a really nice presentation on the wrecks of Sleeping Bear, uh, the national sh- seashore by Sleeping Bear Point, which would be a very shallow diving, but some great stuff. There's uh, He spotted a um, capstan sitting all by itself in about 30 feet of water, uh, just laying on its side. And he's got two or three other wrecks there. So there's some everything from beach diving to uh, some... You know, we'd need a boat to get to some of them because it's a very remote area. But uh, it's one of the most beautiful places on Earth, that uh, Sleeping Bear. Excellent. 
So it was a good show. I look yeah. forward to going back next year. Uh, I spent most of my time working with the Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve booth and promoting diving in our area and trying to get people you know, to, on our mailing list so we can inform them of what's going on and uh, try to raise a little money for the preserve so we can buoy more of the wrecks out here and make it easier for the divers to get on and off. So if somebody wants to donate money or learn more about the preserve, where would they go? Uh, dive, S-W-M-U-P, swim up, Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve, dot com. And there's some links there. We're going to be updating that website. Uh, it's a relatively new site with uh, club members, or not club members, but uh, the board of directors. And uh, next Sunday, next Saturday, we'll be having a board of directors meeting, and we're probably going to change some officers. So you know, in a couple of weeks, we'll have some announcements about that. And we've got a committee you know, looking into sinking a ship. And we've got the dive for boobies coming up. We've got the uh, treasure hunt and pier cleanup dives coming up. So they're trying to promote at least one dive a month, uh, especially through the summer, if we can get a couple of dives a month going. They've chartered Jensen's, uh, Bob Jensen's uh, tugboat, the LCJ, uh, out of South Haven. They're going to charter it to go out to a couple wrecks, a two-tank dive on a Saturday and a one-tank dive on a, it's either a Tuesday or a Thursday night. So uh, just trying to get more people into the area and a little more diving going on. Excellent. So that's a, that's a good program. Now, the Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve is, is who we turned over Max Rec to, isn't it? Yes. Um, we gave them the numbers. Uh, we'll, we'll wait for Jim to come back. He was in the middle of something. He was talking about that, that we gave him the numbers. Oh, there you are. Yep, I'm back. Sorry. No problem. And uh, so, so you well, last we heard is you said uh, we gave them the numbers. I gave them the numbers and asked them to take care of, uh, you know, uh, managing the archaeological study for it and the excavation that needs to be done to try to identify the wreck. So they've done that, and uh, they're looking to hold some archaeology classes, underwater archaeology classes. Uh, we're going to try to get some other dive shops in the area to do that also. And then they're going to coordinate activities to, you know, uh, bring people out and uh, share the work so that, you know, if a group from one dive shop is there one week and a group from another dive shop is there another week, they don't have to redo. Uh, you know, they can see kind of live online sharing uh, what's been updated from week to week so that we can just continue to build on it and uh, try to identify and document this wreck uh, as much as possible. It's, you know, very possible this could be one of the early wrecks or a ship built very early in the 1800s. We won't know until we dig out more of it. So, um, you know, it's one that might be a key wreck to be documented. I'm looking forward to it. I, I think there's there's so much there we just haven't seen yet. So if you're yeah. in the area or you think you're coming up there and you like to dive on it, um, are there any plans, Jim, for training for archaeology? Yes, uh, I know uh, Peggy shop, um, drawing a blank. Oh, I got a card right here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hang on, hang on. That, that's your, that. that's your to, shop up there in Holland. Yeah. have to edit this piece out. Oh yeah. Yeah. We always, we do, we do very tight, detailed editing. So nobody will see any of this or hear any of this. Okay. Uh, adventures in diving and travel. So adventures in diving and travel. She's doing some Holland. training. Yes. Plus, uh, 
you know, something that if you have a dive shop who's interested in doing an, an archaeological program, have them get with us at the show at scubaobsessed.com and we'll, we'll put you in contact with people. So if you got a dive shop and you want to do the training, you can do the, the classroom stuff there at the shop and then you can arrange a charter out right. reserve and, and be able to, to do the hands-on. Yes, uh, that'll be probably one way that uh, more work is done. So we can provide the opportunity for people to do hands-on with it uh, right there. And, you know, you never know what you're going to uncover. That's what's, uh, I think, the big draw to this wreck is it's buried up to the deck in sand. And so we'll be doing a lot of excavation to remove the sand from inside the hold, the hull. And, uh, you know, any artifact that comes up at that point or gets gets unearthed at that point is going to need to be uh, drawn, documented, photographed, etc. So at so, so, 72 feet, it's a very doable wreck, uh, you know. It's it's permanently buoyed right now. Uh, I'm hoping we can get a second buoy on it this year on the stern, which would make it a little easier to get on it and work depending on which way the currents are. So uh, you'll be able to basically park your boat right on top of the wreck and then drop straight down or follow either one of the buoy lines down, whether you're working the bow or working the stern. It's only 85 feet from bow to stern, but... Um, give you two two access points and actually two anchorages on it so that's one of the goals for this year excellent so there's i think there's quite a bit more to be discovered about that wreck we've just scratched the surface from what we know so far yeah the big question right now is is it a sloop or is it a schooner and the difference being a sloop only has one mast which is what we've seen so far uh, but is there a second mast or a mast step, or is the mast, you know, obviously if there was a mast, it's broken off, but did it break off just a couple feet below the deck level, or was it removed uh, sometime in the, the life of the ship and the ship turned into a barge? Uh, we don't know. You know, where there's, there's definitely one mast still standing, at, well, at least up to deck level. Uh, about the only thing standing above the deck is, some railing posts on the port side, uh, the stern post, and the bow pulpit. So that's the big question is, you know, that will really help in identification is determining if it's a sloop or a schooner. If it's a schooner, uh, you know, the Farnham, not the, not the Farnham, the farmer immediately comes to the top of the list. If it's a sloop, there's no telling what it is because supposedly no sloops went down in this area. Now, when you say the farmer, isn't the farmer listed as a much longer vessel than the one that we've got there at Max? I believe the farmer's listed about 87 feet. Okay. 87 long, 18 wide, which is pretty close to what we've got. You know, we, we did a, a measurement of 85 by 20, uh, but, you know, the, the method of measuring varied over the years, and... I would not be surprised to find this ship to be longer than what we've measured it. I believe the bow um, has was smashed in to some extent, and so it's actually going to measure shorter than it actually was. Okay. Now, how, well, oh. how would the bow have smashed in? You think that's how it came down? Either it came down that way or, you know, if it had been involved in a collision, there should have been a record of it, uh, unless it was in a collision further north and took on water and just, you know, uh, drifted south before it finally sunk. 
the other possibility is that the bow hit the bottom first and smashed in, split the sides open, and then the stern settled. So again, you know, a lot depends on what we find as cargo. Uh, what we find uh, once we open up the sand and start looking at the hull condition. Um, you know, we, we've got some indications right now that where the anchor lies, uh, that that has split open and fallen off to the side. But it's okay. roughly the same height as that uh, the bow pulpit. So you would think if it had split open and fallen over that way early, that would have all been totally submerged in, in sand by now. So, you know, it's very possible that it's, it split but sat straight up, and then as it's filled with sand, started to fall off to the side a little bit. So, you know, again, this is going to be – archaeology is going to be a great one on this as things are measured and, uh, you know, the sand is pulled away from it because one great thing with the sand covering everything up, you know, anything that we've uncovered from the sand does not have zebra mussels on it. Right. So, you know, you've, you've got a uh, – much cleaner looking wreck because of the limited or no zebra mussels or anything that was under the sand. Now, it'll be interesting when we go back this year to see, you know, how many zebras have started to grow on what was uncovered last year and how much of what was uncovered last year got covered back over with winter storms. Yes, I'm very interested to see how that is. So you think we're approaching the time of the season where it's safe to uh, get a boat in the water? Uh, it's getting awful close. They're talking about freezing temps tomorrow night, but, uh, you know, it may not be bad enough to, to start getting there. Usually about the 1st of May, you're safe to get the boats out and get them in. So I'm hoping I can get mine ready and start running some trips in the next, next month. Yeah. Cause it'd be, it'd be good to get, to get out there. Uh, do you know if they got the buoy out in the lake yet? I have not seen either buoy. Uh, the Cook buoy or the 45007, the Mid-Lake buoy yet. So I'm going to check that. I did see that uh, there's a uh, one of the Coast Guard ships, uh, Icebreaker from St. or Icebreaking Tug, is down in Chicago. Um, and the Mackinac was out doing maneuvers today. So hopefully the buoy setters are on the water and getting those, those buoys ready to go. Well, that, that's a good indication that we're we're getting into that time of year then. Yeah, yeah. I saw Mac posted on either Facebook or or uh, some other site where he said that uh, it looked like there's a few days where we had some glass-like conditions out there. Yeah, there have been some some really beautiful days lately. But then you turn around and we've the wind kicks up and we're uh, back to getting blown off the lakes. Yeah, yeah. And let's I'm, see. National Data Buoy Center Station four five zero zero seven. See if we're getting any data on it yet. Well, hey, let's see. Here we go. 419. It is reporting data. So 45007, the, the Mid-Lake buoy is out there. Excellent. 41.2 uh, degree water temp. Well, uh, is that, is that always that surface? 41.2 <laughs> degree air temp. Water temp is 42.3. That's more like it. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, www. Well, I'll post it in the in the chat room if anybody wants to see it. Yeah, and I, we also have links on the Scuba Obsessed sites. Uh, there's a dive conditions link that will take you to the buoys and what they're reporting. Yep. I'm also uh, hoping that we buoy? get some good vids this year. It seemed like last year about this time we 
we got lucky on one dive and it wasn't too bad, and then it went to poop there for a couple weeks before it's slowly yeah. starting to clear up. Yeah. Uh, once the water starts to warm, it basically clears because you get the layering. Yeah. Um, you know, that was a very interesting. Actually, talking about layering, I had a very interesting conversation with some fishermen last week. That's why I missed the show. I was doing a speaking presentation uh, to our local steelheaders fishing club. And they were asking about, you know, temperature of the water column and can you get cold water pockets and hot warm water pockets. And I explained to them, yeah, you can actually, you know, uh, I've done a, a safety hang where my head was warm and my feet were freezing. You know, and you could actually just you go down through the water column and you can see a layer of wave, uh, kind of like the way you see the shimmer on the roadway from heat waves. Mm-hmm. You could actually see that shimmer in the water, and the water temperature would change 15 degrees right there when you pass through that, that layer. Yeah, I can and attest they found to that. They found that hard to believe, but then I you know, explained to them, well, if you ever look at the, the lake and you fly over the lake where the river comes off, uh, you've got the trash line where one side is brown, which is the river water, and the other side is blue, which is the lake water. And you know, within five feet, it'll change from brown to blue. Uh, so you get that same type of stratifying uh, stratifying condition uh, vertically in the lake also. So they were once I explained it that way, they ah they called on and it made sense to them. Don't understand why, but we just know it happens. Yeah, just just kind of the nature of water. Yep. So we have that to look forward to this this summer. And then also this this week we had the mud club meeting. So we had an excellent turnout from that. Had some new members or prospective members show up. That was nice to see see people for that. That's always great to get together with the group and talk about diving. So if you're not a member of a dive club, uh, you know, search one out or organization or what have you. Get with your local dive shops. Find out who they've got diving. It's a great, I mean, this is a one of the best social sports there is. Well, I think that do, that does it for talking about the diving this last week. If you've got any, if you want to follow us on Facebook, go ahead and go to facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. You can also follow us on Twitter uh, where the show's name is at scuba obsessed. You can also follow me at Darren Jilson, D-A-R-R-I-N-J-I-L-L-S-O-N on Twitter. And then we also have a scoop it feed. So uh, where you follow us on Twitter and you'll get all the news articles that we cover throughout the week, plus the ones that we cover in the show. And I did find, actually, I got onto iTunes for the first time, uh-huh. and your podcasts are all available on iTunes, free of yes. charge. Yep, we are available on iTunes. Also, the Zune store, BlackBerry store. Uh, if there's a store that you like to listen to and we're not on there, let me know and we'll we'll submit them. So there's a variety of ways of getting them, or you can also get them through our website, scubaobsessed.com. And also TalkShoe, which uh, a couple of people in the chat room tonight were complaining about TalkShoe. Want to thank everybody in, shock, talk, everybody in the chat room for coming out. We had uh, John, Brett, Chris, Lisa, and then even uh, Dave, who wasn't able to be directly in the chat room. He called in. So hello, Dave. And many of the people in the chat room are doing shout outs to you, even though you can't see it. So we appreciate everybody who's in the chat room. And we're just getting back into diving, you know, doing the show and Diving all year round. It doesn't seem like we had a break, but for everybody else who hasn't been, uh, get your gear serviced, get your tanks vised, and, and get out there and start scheduling some dives. Again, we'd like to see you come over to this side of the lake. 
you're going to be in this area, let us know, and uh, we'd love to go diving with you. That's for sure. Uh, you, you got anything else you want to plug before we, we get to that point of the show? Well, there is an event this weekend. Michigan Shipwreck Research Associates, MSRA, is holding their big fundraiser up in Holland on Saturday night. Uh, Dave Trotter will be there. Ralph Wilbanks will be there. These are a couple of the premier shipwreck hunters uh, in the Great Lakes area. Actually, Ralph Wilbank hunts shipwrecks worldwide. He's the gentleman that works for Clive Custler. Uh, he's in the area right now looking for Northwest Airlines 2501. So we'll be uh, sharing a beverage with him after the show. And uh, if anyone's going to be in the area, it's a great show Um Great evening of uh, shipwreck exploring in the Great Lakes. Yeah, and what you'll want to do is hit the MSRA website if you're playing and going to that show. You can buy tickets advanced. Last year was a sellout, and I think they're, even though they've increased the number of tickets, I think they're expecting a sellout again this year. Yeah, they've raised the price a little bit, but they're still expecting that it will be a sellout this year. Yep, and their website is so. www.michiganshipwrecks.org. And one of the first things you come across when you visit their website is that they're going to talk about the show coming up. Yeah. And if you look at their diving page, they have an interactive map that will show you all the wrecks up and down the shipwreck coast out here and uh, information on many of them, background stories and uh, current dive conditions. So it's an excellent website. Yep. Excellent way. Um, I you know, and maybe this is a good point in time to talk about GPS coordinates, because I know we've used some of the GPS coordinates on their site or other sites, but if you're new to the area, you can't always go by those GPS numbers. It's best to find somebody in the area who has dove on the wreck. You know, stop in the local dive shop, see if they know somebody's diving. Uh, I also ask if it's buoyed, because if it's buoyed, you're probably going to be okay. Uh, you can probably get, you know, you, you, get, you follow the GPS, and then you'll see the buoy bobbing 50 to 100 yards away. But if you just go on the GPS and you're not familiar with that dive and you don't have a really good uh, depth finder, uh, it can be a challenge to find some of these wrecks. Yes, it certainly can. Okay, well, I, I think we've stalled about as long as we can. You know, that means it's that time, huh? It does. Okay, let me brace myself. Yeah, yeah. and this one's bad. I think it's actually a little insulting. So, bad by your standards? Oh, it, it's it's bad. I mean, they're all bad, but this one's bad. But, uh, you know, yeah, they're, they're saying, yeah, in the chat room, they're saying they're ready too. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to send you some more. Yeah. <laughs> so here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Please, please submit your jokes, your dive jokes to Darren. Yeah. Yep. Send them. You can send them to the show at Scoob Obsessed, and uh, we'll go ahead and, and, and look at them. Some of them we throw in the age bucket to, to ferment, but, uh, some of them will they'll go ahead and make it right away. So here we go. And don't don't worry about offending Darren. He has no pride, so you can't offend him. No, no, I'm I'm beyond being offended. A diver from Ohio visiting California decides to wet his whistle after a day in the water. He sees a sign for Diver Joe's and decides that this might be the right place for him to meet some locals. He goes from the bright California sunshine into a dark bar and blindly makes his way to the bar. As his eyes adjust to the darkness, he realizes he's in, he's in an all-girl bar. And the type of diving they're referring to is not the type that he had diving that he had in mind. Not knowing what to do, he nervously said to the bartender, want to hear a blonde joke? The bartender stares at him and says, do you realize that I'm a blonde? Joe, the owner, is a blonde, and our very butch bouncer over there in the corner is also a blonde. Are you sure you want to tell a blonde joke in this bar? 
The diver thinks for a moment and says, well, I guess not, especially if I have to explain it three times. Do we need to explain it to everyone on the... Um, maybe. <laughs> oh, you, you, you got an LOL in the chat room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks, John. Now, now Chris, did, did was it really bad? Anybody wants to hang around and, and come on for the after the show, go ahead and let us know. Throw us your Skype, and we'll chat you in. So until next time, go out there and get wet. Be safe. And remember, no blondes were harmed in the making of tonight's show. Rip All reads recordings from Arizona. have been completed. Rip reads from Arizona. Arizona, excellent. Yeah. Are, are you doing any diving out there in Arizona?